Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the One Talk podcast. You're here with your host, Ryan McCarthy. Today, we are joined again by Michael Mojo Johnson. This is our second episode together, and the first episode we did was had such an amazing feedback from the audience and all the listeners out there. And it just made sense to come back again and do round two because the first episode was just that good. And that's what makes this episode so good because we went into depth on a lot more topics and we got even more juiciness out of this episode, even though that might have seemed hard to do after the first one, but we did it. Michael is the founder of Mojo Humans Performance Institute. He is also a mindset and business um, coach, mental performance coach, he's an investor, he's an owner, business owner. He has his own podcast as well, The Underestimated Entrepreneur. And Michael is just an absolute wizard in the field of business and mindset. Like his knowledge is just a, such a high level. The amount of people he's worked with as well, like Australia's top rich listers and top athletes, like just a wealth of knowledge. He's got so much experience, which makes this just such an, an amazing episode. On this episode, we touch on many topics like should you rather work on your strengths or your weaknesses? Uh, what are the key factors that shape human behavior? When to know to delegate areas of my business? Some key considerations when starting the business. How can I be more decisive? How to re-energize from mental stress from working overload? What are some non-negotiables in life? How can I identify my purpose? And so on. There's just so many things we dive into in today's episode. And I can't wait for you all to listen in because it was an honor to be a part of this conversation as well. In other news, if you could please share this podcast around with a friend or a family member or on your stories or as a post, it would just mean so much in helping this podcast grow, reaching a larger audience and getting this message out there and this resource out there to more people. And if you could also please leave the podcast a rating, that would mean so much as well just in helping us get to a bigger audience, reach more people and make a bigger impact. So that's much appreciated, but without further ado, let's welcome Michael. Welcome back, Michael. How are you, man? Good, mate. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. It's um, it's epic to have you back on the One Talk and to share your message, share your value because yeah, ever since last episode, there's so much that has come from both of our communities and it's good to be able to create this connection again. No, mate, it's awesome to be here and, um, it, you know, it's awesome to be part of this as well. Um, I know you mentioned that there was a lot of questions that people had and, um, yeah, good feedback. Um, yeah, so I'm just stoked that uh, your community embraced the conversations that we had and, and some of the ideas that I raised as well. Um, yeah, I guess something that I like is I like challenging the way that things work, like either things work or they don't work. And there's a lot of things in the mental health space and the mindset space that sound good. And everyone gets behind, but they don't necessarily work. And when you look at the results and the data and the outcome, you know, they're, they're, um, yeah, they're, they're, there's, there's not the same correlation that you'd want if you were really trying to achieve great things in your own life or with loved ones anyway. Mm, that is so true. And I relate with that a lot, especially the way people connect and reach out to me and they say certain things. And I may not particularly have the same agreement on it at first, but then able to see different perspectives and try and understand more of what that perspective is and just trying to understand the basis of them more. So yeah, it's a really cool um, field to be in, especially working. Oh, awesome, mate. The um, first question I want to get into, because I see this question come up a lot and not just on my podcast, but just as a general in life as well. Someone did ask this, but 
the question is how can I identify my purpose? And I feel like this is a big question that a lot of people in today's world are trying to figure out. And I'd love to hear your perspective and answer on this. Awesome. I'm actually just about to launch an online training on this because we get the same question probably six, seven times a week on average. Um, so it's I think it's pretty common. But look, the it's not that you've got to find your purpose. It's just you've got to clear away all the shit that's not your purpose. Mm-hmm. So I have different beliefs around most of the coaching and personal development industry or the psychology industry. Um, I think most people are trying to find something because they don't realize that they are already the thing. And what I mean by that is like, I really believe that everybody's successful because if you watch a young child, a young child is highly adaptable. They're resilient. They figure stuff out. They are really open and willing to learn, but they like to learn certain things. Not every child likes to learn the same thing, but then we go to school and we get told what we have to learn. So I get put in mathematics class. I don't like maths. It's not my thing. I wanted to learn how to build engines and I wanted to figure out how things work and I wanted to go learn geography and biology and I wanted to go play sport. But I got told I have to sit in a classroom and learn mathematics. So when I do that, I get a report card. The report card comes back. My mum looks at it or my parents look at it. They go, why are you doing bad in school? And so they start projecting their values onto me because my mum has a high value on learning. Now, um, that's probably because my mum was 17 when she had me and she got she had to pull out of school. Um, my dad, not so much. He dropped out of school when he was a, a teenager. So based on my mum's insecurities, she then projects them onto me because the thing that she never got to do was to go to university. Yet all her brothers and sisters did. So that creates a void and an insecurity in her own life. So now she has a child and she thinks in order to give my child the best in life, the best thing that can happen is that he gets a good education and goes to university. But that wasn't the thing that I wanted to do. And instead of looking at the child and saying, how do we help them to be the best that they can be based on the values that they have? Most parents try to deal with their own insecurities by projecting what they think is best onto the child. Now that's because they care about the child, right? So there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. And I think every every parent is trying to figure it out and no parent really knows how to parent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because every child's different um, throughout different stage of of the child's life, it adapts and changes. Um, my parents are still trying to figure out how to deal with me. Um, and I, you know, and I'm, I turned 40 this year. So, you know, every parent's trying to do their best in some way, shape or form. It's just, no one really knows what that looks like. So over time, we get all these projections of school teachers saying, you need to do this. You've got to do that. You, you raise your hand, you say, can I go to the bathroom? They say, no, you need to sit still. And so over time, you start to confuse your own value, your own purpose in life, your own mission. And so then it becomes really confusing. A young child knows what it likes. Like my nephew, you say, don't go outside. It's raining. Two seconds later, he's outside playing. Why? Because that's what he wants to do. Now, I'm not saying that that's the right thing. It's just that that's, he just does what is what he loves. Now, he can sit down and play with my niece. So my niece loves coloring in and drawing, and she's very artistic. So she goes and clo- uh, changes her clothes five or six times You know, while we're there for a couple of hours. So she's very self-expressive, whereas my nephew, Jordan, is completely the opposite. He sits down, starts coloring in, and two minutes later, he's either starting a fight with his sister or he's outside playing or he's building something. So he's already expressing his values, but once again, parents come along, they say, you know, I need to sit down and do this because, you know, I'm on a phone call or I'm doing something. 
So then the child starts to adapt its behaviors and it needs to do that as well because children are very impulsive and it needs to learn how to govern its impulses because as adults, we can't just do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, because that leads to an erratic human being. Mm -hmm. So that's what starts to happen. But over time, the child loses itself. And most people who come come to our events or um, you know they, they message me or, or they're part of our community, they'll say something like, how do I understand my values? How do I find my values? How do I understand my life purpose? I'm not sure on what my mission is. I get that, but that's everybody. Almost every human being doesn't know what their mission, purpose, and values are very clearly. Now, some do, but most people don't. And when we're talking about values, we're not talking about kindness and honor and respect. They're social idealisms. That's not 100% correct. Um, they're based on a field of study called axiology. They're physical, tangible things that we're trying to achieve in life. Um, and so that's what we value. Our values are directly related to what we value. Now, everybody on the planet values kindness, but the question is, what does that mean? So is is looking after your health and fitness, is that valuable? Now, some people say yes. Other people go, oh, I don't give a shit about that. Some people say education is important. Other people go, I don't care about education. It's not important to me. So they're the physical, tangible values. Some people say family is important. Other people say, I don't really care about my family. So we have, there's this polarity in society of different value systems that make up an economy. And the reason why you and I, even though we're in similar industries, do different things and, and we're different in the way we approach it is because our values are slightly different. They're similar, but different. Now, if you've ever been to Thailand, you would have heard the, uh, the, uh, the quote, same, same, but different. Yeah. You know, most people in society um, or everybody in society has a different structure of values. They might be similar, but they're not the same. My mentors do what I do, right? But they they do it in a different way. So I have my lane and they have their lane. The faster I realize that or the, the sooner I realize that, the more I was able to live what I want. So when it comes back to purpose in answer to your question, it's not that you don't know what your life purpose is. It's that you know it's just clouded by everyone else's judgments, opinions, criticisms, beliefs, ideals, ideas. And so you're looking going, shit, I want to do this, but is mom and dad going to be upset? I want to do this. What are my friends going to say? If I leave my job, what are my colleagues going to say? What happens if I fail? So it's all of that that stops you from understanding your purpose. It's already in there. So you don't you don't have to you don't, you don't have to um, almost find it because it's there. It's just you've got to clear away all the other shit, which comes down to what Sigmund Freud, the famous psychiatrist, uh, spoke about as implanted values. Okay, and he called that the super ego. Um, but yeah, it's all the other implanted values and ideas. You know, when a human goes to make a decision and someone else pops into their head, it's not their decision, it's somebody else's decision. That's an implanted value. It may be a parent, it may be a teacher, it may be, you know, it may be a religion, it may be society, it may be friends. So in order to find your purpose, the first thing that you've really got to do is get really clear with your values because your highest value almost helps you to determine what your purpose is. So my highest value is teaching, learning, and coaching. And then my second highest value is I call it high value connection, but they're essentially people who I can learn from, who display leadership qualities, or who I can teach, coach, and lead. So I love being around people who want to learn. I love being around people that I can learn from because the higher value dictates my second highest value. So if I don't feel like I can learn, teach, and coach from somebody, or they're doing the same to me, the second highest value isn't really fulfilling. I can be around people, but for a short period of time, I get bored. 
Yeah. And then, you know, my third highest value is business and wealth creation. So I build a business on learning, teaching and coaching, connecting with leaders and people that want to achieve more and people that want to learn and grow. Or I, I have all these amazing connections who are high level leaders, like rich listers, professional athletes. A lot of them are my friends, you know, in the last podcast, I spoke about having a phone where, you know, on my phone, I've got private access to almost probably a couple of billion dollars worth of people um, that I can call any time of the day. So I go and learn from those people. And then I go and share that through my courses and my seminars and through coaching like this. So your values essentially dictate where you end up in life. Um, but they also they also help you to understand what you, what fulfills you within your own life as well. So doing stuff like this to me is not a chore. It's just, I love to do it. But if I had to do data entry or I had to look at finances for three to four hours in a day, I'm out. Okay, so... Your highest values determine your purpose. My purpose in life is to help people perform better. That's my life purpose. And that's what I think about all the time. If I watch a movie, I'm thinking, right, normally when I watch movies, they're based on true stories. Those true stories are normally, I'm looking at how they're thinking. How, they, how do they overcome obstacles? How do they overcome challenges? What are their values they're demonstrating? I wonder what their mission is. How do they interact with people? And so pretty much everything I do in life relates back to that. And it's not that I'm trying to do it. It's just that it's already there. It's just, that's what I love to do. Mm. Does that sort of make sense? So it's not about, it's not yeah. about discovering your purpose. It's about clearing away the shit so that you can see it. Cause it's already there. You think about it all the time, your values, you demonstrate all the time. Like I can tell you're, you're, you've got a high value on connecting with people that you can learn from. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So if you had time, you'd probably fill your time up with that. That's not because it's a value that you want. It's just the value that is. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, everyone is successful. And I like personally, I knew from a young age, like I love learning, I love educating. But through school, I didn't do great. I ended up getting kicked out because I feel like it was somewhat my value, but I wasn't connected to it in a way that I felt like was serving me. It was more forced beliefs of other people. And that's why what you said about other people's beliefs and other people's values get pushed onto you and kind of push you away from your own values that you already have. And that just shows the power of the influence around you and the environments that you're in because it can push you off your path and make you feel like you have no purpose. But in reality, everyone's successful. It's just pushing all that aside to truly identify what it is. And with identifying the values within ourselves, what's some like actionable items we can take from this step forward to start identifying our own values? Look at what your life demonstrates. So I actually just got asked, uh, we're working with a, a new marketing agency because um, we're, we're starting to expand globally now. And um, one of the things that they asked was like, what's the most common thing that people ask? And it's about their values. And they said, what makes yours different from the other values tests that are on the, on the market? Well, first of all, most people when they're taught about values are taught incorrectly. And it's incorrectly because they haven't studied the field of value studies. What they've studied is they've studied social sciences, which then use a label of values. So they come up with terms like kindness and happiness and respect. But what does that mean? So if you look out in our society and you see an obese parent and they've got obese kids and they're at McDonald's and you have a high value on health, you will see them as being completely disrespectful and immoral with their kids. Now, that's not saying that the, that parent is trying to be disrespectful. It's just that they don't have a high value on health. That's all that it is. 
And my good friend and mentor um, and, and, you know, someone I speak to quite regularly is uh, Dr. John Z. Martini. And like he said, for every person on the planet who has a high value on something, somebody else has a low value on something. You know, there are people out there who have zero value on money. And so you see them, you see them around the place. When we run events and seminars, like let's say one of my events is $5,000. Most people who come to that event would have some sort of a value on money or wealth creation and maybe their top five to seven values. It might not drive their whole entire life, but it's there because they're paying five grand to come to an event. Now, sometimes people put up their hand, they go, yeah, but I don't have a high value of money. I work because I have to work. And I go, you don't have to work. And they go, yeah, you do. And I say, no, you don't. And they go, yeah, but I've got to support my family. And I go, no, you love to support your family financially, which is why you work. That's part of your value structure. And they, they argue with me because they feel like it's a burden that they have to go to work every day when the truth is they don't have to go to work. There are people that wake up today, open the fridge up, eat last night's pizza, smoke a bong, and then watch TV all day. And the government pays them to do that. And you say that to them, they go, yeah, but I, I don't want to live that lifestyle. And I go, I know because money is important to you. But most people just don't get it because we've been indoctrinated into a way of thinking. And that way of thinking is that we should be doing shit that, that is outside of our values. You've probably heard of the term hard work. Yeah. Only recently I've stopped using that term. Um, because you know, my wife would come to me and would sit down and she'd go, oh, how's your week been? I go, oh, fuck, it's been pretty hard. But why does it have to be hard? It's just, I've been indoctrinated with a way of communicating, which is that work has to be hard. And my work's not hard. I enjoy what I do. That doesn't make it hard. It's I, I work a lot. I put a lot of energy and effort into it, but it doesn't have to be hard. I make it hard by the languaging that I use. Mm. So coming back to values, most people's values are right in front of them but they just don't see it. Like you ask a parent who loves their kids and they go, I have to look after my kids. I have to support my kids. That's only because your values dictate that. There are parents who, who, who are more than happy to give away their children. There are parents out there or people who have kids who kill their kids and throw them in dumpsters. I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do, but it's just because they have zero value on that child's life. Whereas a parent who is like, I have to look after my kids. It's not that they have to look after them. It's just that they, um, it's just that they choose to look after them because it's within their value structure. Mm. So our values are right in front of us. It's just that we think that things are supposed to be hard. So instead of just doing the things that are important to us, most people step outside of their values, try to live in planted values, make their life really hard and complicated. Then they keep getting stressed out, burnt out, frustrated, depressed, anxious. All of this feedback that's telling them you're off your fucking path. Get back onto it. And then they try to go back to it and they go, I really love doing this stuff, but then it should be hard. It should be complex. I should, you know, because they're watching most people in society, most people are off track. Mm. So when it comes to values, if you look at what your life consistently demonstrates, it will tell you your values. And that's why when I when I do values, and I'm probably one of the best in the world at doing this, because we, we have a lot of people who come to our events who have done all these different personal development events and still struggle with their values. What I normally do is I get them to write down what a standard week looks like and then tell me what that standard, what the relationship is between the stuff that you're doing and your values, right? So if you exercise consistently and you're, you're consistently moving like I do, that's for me, that's physical performance. So I, I love exercise. I love training. I love moving. I go for a walk most days. Um, I have to move consistently. So for me, that's about life demonstrates your values. So if you just look at your life, it will show you what you value. 
And instead of saying, like a lot of people say things like, I have a high value on money and wealth because I think about it all the time. And there are values tests out there that ask a good question. What do you think about consistently? Well, if you're broke, you're going to be thinking about money. If your health is shit, you're going to be thinking about your health. If your family is in chaos, you're going to think about your family. But that's only because you're dropping into a primitive survival response. That's not the thing that truly fulfills you in life. It's just that you're just trying to you're trying to stay alive, essentially, right? At, at the at the brainstem level, right? It's survival. So, you know, when when a person says family is my highest value, yet they spend 50 hours a week working, family is 100% not their highest value. Their career or work or money or wealth creation or whatever it is, is their highest value. But what most people think is if I don't put family as number one, then it means that I don't care about them. And it's not that they don't care about them. It's just that for that individual, they feel like if they work really hard and get ahead financially, that's the best thing that they can do for their family. So this is where most people get confused with values. But if you look at what your life demonstrates, your life demonstrates your values, especially if you're consistent with it. If you're someone who works consistently and you have done for a long, long time, then probably career, money, finances, or something like that is important to you. If you consistently study and learn, then learning and study is probably important to you. But if you're someone who says learning is important to me, yet you never learn, but you go, oh, I've had a book next to my bed for ages and I think about reading it, then your life doesn't really demonstrate it. If you're always hanging out with friends or socializing, then social connection is important to you. Okay, so your life demonstrates that. Mm. That's yeah. key because, yeah, it's so important to be able to mix a lot of that out the way. And I think people listening here have now that action arm to take away to start identifying their values because it's important. And one last question I've got around the value system. This is personally from the back end of what you're saying. In a relationship dynamic, do you think it's important to have two people that have relatable values or different values? Like, what do you think that is for relationships? Uh, same, same, but different. Okay, yeah. it's, uh, I that's I love that quote from Thailand, right? I love I love when I travel when I've traveled through Thailand before, and and you know they go, it's the same, same, but different. Um, and so it's just it's etched in my mind. So in an intimate relationship, you need to have similars and differences. Right, We've had people who've come to my events, done their values, gone home, spoken to their girlfriend, and their girlfriend goes, I'm leaving because we have different values. Do you know how narcissistic you have to be to think that you're so fucking great that your partner should demonstrate the exact same values of you because your values are so amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's that's someone who has who, who has no real understanding of human interaction, human connection. If you think about it, like if I ask most people, do you like yourself on average, right? And we don't sugarcoat it. Most people go, oh, sort of, like it depends on the day. Imagine you living and dating yourself, right? It'd become really frustrating, really annoying. It'd also be probably easy sometimes, but it's also really frustrating. And how would you learn? Anything in nature that doesn't grow dies. So we have to keep learning and we have to keep growing and adapting. The aging process forces us to do that. Um, children will force you to do that. Businesses will force you to do that. We've got to keep growing, right? So an intimate relationship is about two individuals that have enough similar values to connect on, but enough differences to keep things interesting and also to learn from each other. Because the understanding of true love is balance and symmetry. Passion, if you look at the etymology or the history of the word passion, it means to suffer. And people suffer in a passionate relationship because they only see one side of the individual. So if if someone starts dating another person, 
you're always going to display and demonstrate your best side, right? You're not going to get there and say, you know, I have stomach problems and I get really bad gas at night. That's not like first date material. <laughs> but when you start living with yeah. that person, you start to realize that's them, right? And, and so you start to see as time goes on, the passion starts to die off because the truth starts to display itself of who the person really is. But then as time goes on, you have to learn how to communicate effectively. You have to learn how to understand another person's value structure and how to love somebody for a different set of values and see how their values help you. You know, if you look at a team in team sport, like if you look at a game of, of let's say professional football, and I'll, I'll use Aussie rules, you have some people who are the centers and just run around the whole the whole area. Now they can't step outside of the boundaries, but they can run around everywhere. Then you have some people who have to stay in a very short area, somewhere in defense, somewhere in offense. But you essentially have a whole team of people who, even though they're they're trying to win the same game, they're playing differently. Now, in your life, if you want to build a business, you need a whole bunch of people with different value sets to help create a team of individuals that can excel and succeed. If not, you're always self-employed because you'll do everything yourself because you think you're the best at everything. And the truth is you suck at communication. You suck at understanding others. You suck at leadership. You suck at management. And that's why it's easy to be self-employed, but it's hard to build a successful big business. That lasts, mm. right? And we get a lot of clients who come to our events for that reason because they're, they're stuck. They want to grow their businesses, but they can't because they get frustrated at other people. They're stressed out all the time. They're angry that people don't just do the shit that they tell them to do, but it's because you've got different values. So coming back to the intimate relationship, your job in an intimate relationship is to try to understand somebody and love somebody else for their, their benefits and their drawbacks. The things that used to piss you off, you'll now start to laugh at. My wife is extremely slow at most things, right? So she is very methodical. She's very calm. She's very relaxed. She's just chilled. Whereas me, I'm consistently chaotic, running around a million miles an hour, got heaps of shit to do. I work really, really hard and then I almost burn out and I'm like, right, I just need a fucking day to myself. Just leave me alone. And then I'll read and study and learn and do some work on myself and then off I go again. Whereas she just plods along. She could work for three to four weeks straight and she wouldn't even bust a sweat. I work for five, six days straight and I'm like, I'm starting to get burnt out. But my production is really high in those five, six days, like super high. Um, and so most people in that time frame, I'll outperform. But I, also, I can also burn out. So I got to be careful in that. That used to piss me off because she is slow and methodical in the way she does things. Whereas now it's the best thing because if I've got contracts to read or documents to go through, she'll sit there for hours and read documents word for word. She'll manage all of our finances. So I'll go out, build the relationships, make the money. She then structures it all, knows where it all goes, puts it all in, and then gives me a report that I can look at in three minutes and go, cool, we're on track or we're off track. So your relationship is essentially a team. So if you want to be a lone wolf and you think that you're the best at everything that you do, that's cool. You're going to enjoy life, but you're never going to have people around you. If you start to understand others and value systems and value structures, you start to see how you link things together and how that helps you to achieve way more in life because now you've got a team working in the same direction versus an individual just doing things by yourself. So in response to your question, um, you need to have a person who has similar values and a similar goal in life and a similar mission. You, I mean, you don't want to have kids and and have someone else who doesn't want to have kids. That's even though your values might align, that's going to push you off track. You want to have someone who has common objectives, but different values. Now you've got a team moving in the same direction. You're probably going to win that game. Mm, I love that team aspect of a relationship is important because 
you can bring so many strengths to each other and help each other out. And like you said, you're go, go, go. Then you need moments to relax for like a day and then you can come back where your significant other can just flow through it and keep the calmness and keep that energy flowing. And that's why I see with my relationship too, and it's super important. And for the person who asked the question about purpose, I think they've got their answer by now. <laughs> that was epic. Awesome. Not glad you like it. Yeah. The next one is um, someone asked, should I work on my strengths or work on my weaknesses? Where's the best place to start? Oh, <laughs> another good question. And look, I just want to say my answers tend to be not black and white. And that's because very few things in life are black and white. Yeah. Everyone wants the black and white answer. Um, you know, everyone's looking for the perfect diet. Everyone's looking for the the fast track, the one tip, the the hack. Yeah, and although yeah. although that works in marketing, and and I use that stuff as well, um, in, in marketing, it, it's not the real way forward, right? So, um, where, with my answers, I'm just giving sort of guidelines that can help you to discover that. Normally, when I'm working with someone, I will work with them to figure that stuff out, right, to get it super clear. But that's because I have very tangible specific answers that i can work with to figure stuff out um so uh coming back to the question which was uh what was the question again it was so someone said should i work on my strengths or work on my weaknesses yeah so when it comes to strengths and weaknesses it, it all depends right because it depends on your values first values come before strengths and weaknesses so your values dictate how well you're going to perform in anything, right? So I could work on my weaknesses, but if my weaknesses are outside of my values, I could work my whole life and still be shit, right? Whereas if I'm working within my values or my weaknesses, then I get good at those things. So an example within my own life is I love learning and teaching. Business is a lower value than than just learning about personal performance, human behavior, all of that. So I love working on business, but I can only put a certain amount of energy into that before I start feeling unfulfilled and stuck. And I've got to go back to connecting with people and then also learning about how it interrelates to human performance and, and all that. So I, I guess I can, I can build a business, but I'm not as good at building businesses as some of my friends who their highest value is business because they are just naturally gifted. They think about business, they breed business. And so there are a lot of people out there who want to make a ton of money, but your values will dictate really how well you're going to do financially. Yeah. Some of my friends, you know, made their first million dollars in their twenties and they've just kept going like that. Some people will make money for a short period of time, then their values shift and then they don't really care about making money anymore. Like now they might have a family and so working hard and all that's not their highest value anymore. Their family's their priority. So their wealth ability or their, their ability to generate wealth might start to deteriorate or drop off. So your values will dictate how much time and energy and effort you want to put into a certain area of life. If you if you go to work and you think, I, I need to get ahead financially, but you're not getting ahead financially, it's probably because money and finances aren't a high value. Now you can put a little bit of energy into that area, but my recommendation is go and figure out what other areas above are unfulfilled so that then you can spend a little bit of time in there and you still feel fulfilled. But even if finances are your weakness, you can get stronger at it, right? So you can get stronger at that, but if you think that you're going to be worth a hundred million dollars and you know, you're going to dedicate your life like someone else out there who's making a shitload of money, you're always going to feel miserable because you'll never get to that level. Mm. Does that answer yeah. the question? It's, it 100%. really comes back to your values first. Get, go to your values, figure out your values first and then find your weaknesses within the values and make them strong. 
Mm. And this is why we will learn, right? So when it comes to exercise, I've got a personal trainer. I hang around a lot of very highly talented people globally who are in that space. And I love learning from them. But will I ever be a Matt Fraser from CrossFit that wins five CrossFit games in a row? No way. Even if I train the same amount, I just wouldn't because I just can't, I, I can't put that same amount of dedication and effort in because my my values won't let me do it. I'll just feel like shit all the time. Mm, like if you say a line to yourself, no one could beat you at your own game. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, epic, man. Our next question was, this is more business related, but someone said, when to know to delegate areas of my business? I do everything myself. I want to delegate some of my workload, but I feel like I'm at a point where I can afford the staff member. Um, so this comes down to the mission. What's the mission? So it's not about affording the staff member because very rarely will you afford to expand your business. Um, businesses that are growing, normally it's cash flow intensive in most cases, unless you're in an industry that is growing very rapidly. Like if you go back e-commerce, like what, 10 years ago, e-com was growing really rapidly. Facebook ads were super cheap. Um, you know, there weren't many people in that industry. You get into it, industry is starting to expand. Facebook ads are cheap. You go in there, you make shit loads of money. Everything goes sweet. Um, so you could hire heaps of staff and, and all that. It's probably not as easy as what it used to be. Back.com era, same thing happens. So we go through these stages, same as crypto, right? Like, you know, back in the back 10 years ago, or even five years ago, you could have bought crypto and you could have been an absolute, you know, nut job when, when it comes to money and wealth creation. And you look like you're a genius. Why? Because the market's going in that direction. So outside of that, you essentially, if you want to grow a business, there are certain principles and certain rules that help you to grow a business. Some of the principles are very rarely will you have the cash flow to be able to cash flow growth, right? So it's always going to be tight, but it keeps you smart. So if you have a lot of money sitting in the bank and then you go, you know, what, I'm going to start a business, you'll probably lose all your money and it will create pressure and tension. And then, then you've got to learn principles of business because when times are easy, we become very ignorant and we become very complacent. Now, if you're ignorant and complacent in business, you get spanked. So what I, what I have found in working with probably, you know, a couple of thousand business owners now is that when you want to grow, you'll always sit there and go, shit, do I have the money to, to bring on the next staff member? Don't I? What happens if it doesn't work? But what it does is it helps you to be smarter because you start putting in processes and systems to make sure that they're effective and that they're efficient um, and that they're doing the right thing and that they're adding value to the organization. Because if they add value, the business grows. If they don't add value, then you spend money on something that that is essentially a waste. And so you end up getting a cash flow constraint, which is painful. That's going to teach you a lesson and wake you up a little bit. So um, really when it comes to hiring a person, the first thing that you've got to, to think about is what is the business that I'm in? What's the business model that I'm that I'm going for? What am I trying to achieve here? What's the long-term mission? Because if you just want to make a lot of money, you're probably better off being self-employed. Um, you know, if you're if you're a self-employed individual, a hundred percent of the profit is yours. A hundred percent of the cash flow essentially is yours. You pay tax, you might have some outgoing costs, but the rest is yours, right? When you've got staff, you make let's say a hundred thousand bucks. But now you've got to pay 30,000 bucks in tax. You've got to pay GST. You've got insurances. You've got superannuation. You've got like all this shit just starts going out the door and you look at it and you're like, crap, back when I used to work for myself, you know, I could earn 
30,000 bucks and 30,000 bucks was essentially mine apart from tax and some other bits and pieces. Yeah. Whereas when you've got a bigger business and you've now started to bring on staff and you've got to pay wages and a whole bunch of other things, the profit margins are a lot less. In most cases, it depends on the business and the business model. Um, but you've got to look at what are you trying to achieve? So we sometimes work with trade-based businesses and they'll say, you know what, I'm better working for myself because it's less stress, less frustration. You know, I can I can scale the business to here and I really don't make that much more, but I've got like way, way more stress. So, you know, you have to figure out what you want. Some tradies come to me and they go, I don't even care if I don't take a wage for the next three years. I want to build a business that's, let's say, a $50 million business that in 10 to 12 years, I'm going to sell to a bigger business and just take a $50 million payday. So it really depends what, what you are trying to achieve in your, in your business and what that, that growth looks like. So I know it's not a simple question, but the first thing that I would do is when I hire a staff member, know exactly what they need to produce and don't hire someone for a role, hire someone specifically to do the work you need done. And no one really taught me this. I lost probably millions hiring staff before I realized how to hire staff. And that really comes down to, I need this shit done. This is the stuff that I'm going to judge you on. And now I'm going to go to the market and find that person who can do that work. Versus mm -hmm. what I used to do is go, do you know what? I need my social media done. I might go and hire a social media manager. Then the social media manager comes in and goes, well, here's all the stuff a social media manager does. And I go, but I don't need all that stuff. I need that plus a couple of other things. And they go, well, yeah, but I don't do that. So then now you've got to go hire another staff member. And so you start ending up with this huge team of people that is quite cash flow intensive and it's not producing as much as what you want because you've hired a role, not the work. So mm -hmm. what I do is I list all the stuff that I need done. Then I put a label on that, on that role. And then I go to market and I try and find that person and I ask them questions. How would you complete this task? How would you do this? What does that look like? Because I'm finding, I want to find a specific individual who can do that stuff yeah. versus finding someone who can do the job. That's um, that's important. The way I can summarize that was get clear on your vision, clear on the delegation of what needs to be done. Yep. I think getting rather a business coach or mentor would be an important role of this as well because business, we're not really taught them much in the educational system, especially to the level that a lot of people want to grow their business too. So I think those three pillars are important that you touch them. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do that. There's there's always going to be two ways that humans learn. One of them is through trial and error. And the other one is through learning from other people's mistakes. Yeah. So if you have a coach or you have a mentor, you're probably going to learn from their mistakes. It's going to probably be a shortcut or you're just going to learn by yourself from making mistakes and wasting cash. And I, I, I guess I do both. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I've done both. Same, especially with this podcast, I've definitely learned from others, but a lot of trial and error as well. And I think it's a good combination. Yeah. Our next question then was, it's a bit detailed, but they said, I listened to your episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur, the hard work, the smart work, and I loved it. At moments, I believe I need each aspect of my business, how to know where the fine line is in between the two. <laughs> no idea, man. I'm trying to find it out myself. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I I think, look, throughout life, you're always getting feedback. It's just sometimes we're sensitive to the feedback and other times we're completely ignorant to it. So I don't think there is a fine line. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know what that, what that line is. And 
everyone I've spoken to, whether they be a professional athlete or whether they be a business owner or whether they be a parent, no, no one really gets it right. It's just that there is, there's a consistency of like stacking results. So do people that achieve at a high level make a lot of dumb decisions? And the answer is yes. Hmm. How do they deal with those dumb decisions? They normally just keep going and they make the decision right. So it was uh, Jesse Ziller who said, I don't always make the right decision, but I make every decision right. Which means I stuff up a lot, but I just keep going until I figure it out and we make it work. Whereas what normally happens is for people that don't achieve a lot, they make the wrong decision, then they beat themselves up, they get caught up in their head, they think that there's some shortcut, and then they spend the next month feeling shit about themselves versus someone who's highly successful has already tried another four or five or 10 things, and now they've moved forward three steps. Now, if you compound that over a 10 or 20-year period, they're going to be so much more ahead in life, and everything compounds up bell curves eventually they're, they're going to look like they're super successful and achieved a lot. It's just that they kept going when you just got stuck in your head and you know went around in circles. So I don't really know. There are times where you can pick it up pretty quickly and you go, you know, I need to work smart, not hard. And then there are other times where you're like, I just got to get shit done and grind. Mm -hmm. And I don't know any business owner that doesn't have times where they grind unless they've got a really, really, really awesome team. But they normally have a really awesome team because they stuffed up their team management in the past right so yeah it, it all i i don't i don't know how to answer that question i don't know where that fine line is everyone always crosses it if you speak yeah. to a professional athlete they go you know what there are times where i just know everything's fine-tuned and then there are there are other times where i know i've overtrained and i get burnt out and i haven't rested enough and you know maybe i had changed my diet maybe my sleeping patterns were shitty like when you think you start to get it in life, all of a sudden you get a curveball and then it's like, I don't get it again. And I got to keep learning. It's just part of a process. Like it's not, it's not a good or a bad thing. And I think humans tend to label, most humans tend to label things as like good or bad and they want the easy path and they want the right way. But it is that there is no real right way. You can learn from other people's mistakes, but you've also got to make a lot of mistakes in order to be, to achieve at a higher level. Yeah. Uh, you just got to keep going. And I think you got to trial a lot as well. Like yeah. with, with my podcast, I was trying to find that fine line myself with what's too many episodes to record in a week and what's too little to still keep me, you know, motivated and keep me going. And then I tried to do six one week and I was like, oh shit, that's too much. And then I did one the next week. I was, and then I was like, I want to communicate with people more. So I found the line of doing three a week is perfect for me. But that came through years of trial and error of trying to figure it out to now where I'm at. I can understand myself a lot more. I know how I perform better. Yeah, we did the same. We was, my podcast was seven days a week for the first, I think about three to four months. And then after that, I'd almost curled up into a ball in the corner, like shaking because I was like, I can't do another fucking podcast. On my yeah. And um, yeah, I just it was just too much. And so I thought I'll, I'll drop down to five. But you know, then you get some people who are like, oh man, I really like seven. So you start to question yourself and you know, I might even drop it down to three. Eventually, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. It does take up a lot of time. Yeah, definitely. Mm. The, our next question, man. Someone asked, "How can I become a better communicator? I admire the way you're able to translate thoughts and ideas into words and make them easily digestible." Uh, a few different things. So, uh, my high value is teaching, learning, and coaching. So, it makes understanding human behavior and thinking through things. Um, easier because it's a part of a value construct that I have. Uh, also, I have my second highest value is 
high value connections. So I, I consistently think about how I'm going to connect with people. Um, my wife is still blown away that if I want to communicate with someone, I'll normally be able to communicate with them. Um, so like I'll come home and, and Jess will say, oh, what happened? And I'm like, oh, I had dinner with a billionaire. And she's like, how the fuck did you do that? And I'm just like, I don't know. I just <laughs> walked up to them and started talking. She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I just talked to them. Like I just, I, I honestly treat people like they're just friends. So, you know, if I want to meet someone, I just go up and talk to them. Like I'm, I'm, I'm friends with them. So I guess for a long, long time, I've just been like that. But what I also do as well is I think about things from their perspective. And when I teach, I tend to try to teach from the audience's perspective, not from what I want to say. So even though I'm trying to get a point across, um, I really try and think about it from who's listening. Now, that's hard when you've got an audience. And and I've had a lot of coaches over the years go, you know, I want to run these big events. And I go, how many have you run before? And they're like, well, I haven't. I'm just starting out. And I go, look, work one-on-one first and get really good at one-on-one. Because when you get good at one-on-one, you can do groups. And then when you get good with groups, you can do you can do really well in big audiences. What I find is that people who just go straight to big audiences, in most cases, are really poor with how they communicate things. Because you don't get direct feedback. You know, if I say to one of my one-on-one clients, the you know here's an idea or a concept and i watch them they're like and i'm watching their feedback i'm okay hang on, let me explain in more detail so over time you develop those skill sets also because i've had i've had to communicate a lot of these concepts over a decade or two you get good at using the same metaphors or the same stories or the same examples and you might just tweak it a little bit for different audiences so I find it quite easy to do that. It's not like I just hopped on here today and now that you've asked me about purpose and values, it's I'm not sitting here going, oh shit, how do I explain this? It's something that I've had to explain a hundred times before. I've got a bag full of stories that I can use. I've got a, different ideas and different concepts to try to explain to different audiences. So I think you develop it over time, just like anybody else. You know, mm-hmm. a, an NBA basketball that doesn't walk on the court and it's not the first time they've done a layup. They've done it a million times before. They've shot a million three-pointers. That's why they practice. It's the same when you're a communicator. You've just got to practice how you do it. Um, and I'm still learning. Like communication is something I'm always thinking about. And when I say always, I mean most of the time, not legitimately always, because uh, I do think about other things. Um, but I, I think about it. Like I'll go out and I'll talk to my wife about something and I'll watch her and she'll sit there and, and I'll watch her face and, and I'm going, hang on, this hasn't come across. How do I connect an idea or a concept or a thought in a way where she understands it? I used to just get frustrated. I'd sit there and I'm like, how do you not understand this? But it's not her fault. It's my fault because of my inability to explain things effectively. So the more you work with people, the more you communicate with people, especially in a one-on-one situation, the easier it is to explain concepts and ideas because you're getting feedback if you watch them. Mm, I love how you said start with one-on-one and slowly build up because once you're able to connect with one individual you're then able to connect with multiple individuals in the one crowd and make a whole collective. Like when I first started work and I started with one-on-one work, then by the time I started running my mastermind in Brisbane, I had a deeper connection with people because I understood more of human behavior. That's yep. a great way to start. Yeah. And look, I've got it wrong as well. I've had, if I told you some of the stories about some of the people we've had at our events, it would make your hair curl. Like, you know, we've had people who've come in who have been suicidal and I'm like, shit, how do I deal with this? What what do I do? Like, they're here for a reason. How do I deal with this? They're, they're going to have triggers. They're going to have things that might set them off. What do I do here? How do I help them? What do what do I, you know, tell them to go somewhere else? Do I, how like, how do I, how do I think through, like, how do I think through this situation? 
I had a guy who I only found out was a schizophrenic when he told me that the night of we're running a four-day event. So I've got an event that I run called Thrive Time. That event used to go till late at night. It doesn't so much anymore. Um, but he was telling me that the night before he had had, he sat by his door with a kitchen knife waiting for me to walk in the door so that he'd stab me to death. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, okay. And I'm I'm in a hallway with no one. It's like 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. All my team are in the event, all the people in the event, and I'm out there with this guy. And I'm like, okay, fuck like this. How do I deal with this situation? So, you know, over time, you learn how to deal with different people in different scenarios. You know how to move different levers in order to explain different concepts and ideas and thoughts, how to coach people through things. Um, but it's also a skill set that I love to do. Some people don't. So it just, it really depends. I've read a lot of books on communication. Um, I'm still learning though. I still get pissed off sometimes. I get frustrated, especially doing sales calls when I know I can help someone, but you know they have their own blocks and shit in the way and you just get frustrated of saying the same thing 15 times you know, in 10 or 12 different ways and they still can't understand. And you're like, fuck, I really want to help them, but I can't because they're just not ready, but I also want to. Um, yeah, I'm human. I think all humans are, are trying to learn how to communicate more effectively. Also, you've got a whole world full of people with different values. You know, like Donald Trump gets up and he says something and half of the world goes, you're an idiot. You don't understand. You don't get this shit. You don't understand. That's because he is who he is, right? Like he he's saying a concept. People just don't like him because he's Trump, but people don't like him because of the values that he stands for and he represents. But then someone else gets up who has a different set of values and they speak and you know, other people say, well, we don't agree. So over time, the better you get at communicating, the more people you have to communicate with, which means that there's also a whole bunch of people who will not like you, don't get you, who are going to blame you, who are just going to hate your face, no matter what you say. Mm. Donald Trump could come out and say, you know, I think everyone needs to be kind. And people are like, you're only saying that because you, you know, like, so you, the, over time, you just have to start to learn how to communicate effectively. But the more the more you learn how to communicate effectively, the more people you're going to communicate with because the more of a leader you are, but then the more people are going to judge and criticize you because the more you're dealing with different values, different ideas, different ideals, different belief systems. And so you're always going to be thinking about how do, how could have I communicated better to that audience? Mm. So it's another area you got to grow in. And um, repetition is key as well. Like actually putting it into practice communication. And what little trick I did for the people listening for like probably about a year straight when I was trying to sharpen my eye and be a better communicator for my podcast, what I started to do was at the time I was driving two hours a day. So what I used to do, I used to press record on my phone and my voice um, recorder and just talk for an hour straight and then talk for an hour straight on the way back listen back to and review it and listen to my own voice, what mistakes I made, how I could have said a certain sentence better, how I could have conducted myself better. And I did that for a long time and I started to see shifts happen in my own communication. I was able to express ideas easier, more easily through listening and also the repetition of doing it. And I found that very helpful for myself too, for that question. Yeah, something else that I've learned with communication is that you'll communicate with an audience that resonates with you. I watch professional speakers talk quite a lot. Some of them I do not like at all because I find they're highly tuned. Like some people who they say the right words and their tonality is perfect and they you know, they use their hands in the right way. For me, I find they're too highly scripted and highly tuned. I don't trust them. Mm-hmm. So I like someone, you know, like I love watching Gordon Ramsay because he just flies off the handle. He'll say inappropriate shit. And I'm like, that's my guy. 
Agreed. And so I like his communication style. But when I find someone who's too structured, too scripted, and they're the perfect corporate speaker, I don't trust them. And I don't think most people do. But for the corporate industry, they are perfectly tuned, right? When, when you listen to politicians, a lot of them are so perfectly tuned in their communication, but no one trusts them because they're just, you know, they're just, I, I, I don't like them because they have no backbone. They, they don't say stuff. Whereas for me, I, I work on my communication, but I work on my communication that I feel like represents what I'm trying to say. And I say shit that's inappropriate. I swear too much. You know, sometimes I go off on, tan actually, a lot of the time I go off on tangents, but they're the things that make me unique to what I do. When I've tried to not be that, my real legitimate audience who love me for me and what I do, they always come to me and say, you seemed off. You seem like you're not, like there's something going on. Whereas other people went, oh, we love the way that you communicated that time. But I felt like shit because that's not my original style. So I just learned how to better communicate in the way that I like to communicate. Some people like it, some people don't. There's always going to be critiques. Like, you just that's gotta, great. Yeah. Yeah, that's great because... I'm glad we touched on that point just there because you still got to be yourself. You still got to be unique because like you said, how, how are you going to connect to a community? If you talk like a robot, if you talk like a group of other people that are doing the exact same thing, like you still got to be yourself and show that through the way you communicate. Yep. Hmm. So I'll ask, do you do events Australia wide or is it mainly SA? No, uh, we do global events. Um, oh. it, it all depends. So, we were doing national tours three to four times a year before COVID. Um, so I would I would go to like 12 different locations every three to six months. Mm. Pardon. Um, but when COVID hit, we had to adapt really, really quickly. So I was one of the first people to do online, like online streaming in a proper studio before even a lot of the big guys. We just, I remember getting told that I couldn't run events and I was like, shit, we're going to go broke. And then I thought, you know, I'm a pretty adaptable dude. We'll figure it out. If, you know, I'm going to be the last person in the industry to go broke. So we hired a big studio, put lights in there, set up big TV screens and all that and started uh, live streaming within like a week or two. Um, so we were doing that and live streaming. I I don't mind that, but I just, I would rather do stuff face-to-face. -face. I like connecting with our audience a lot more. Um, also, you get a lot more feedback. Like I find when people sit online, they turn off their cameras, they go get a coffee, they come back. And so they the value exchange isn't as good. And I don't think the results are as good for some people it is, but for most people it's not. You're better off being in a live event, immersing yourself in it. You're there, you're committed, you're away from other distractions. You know, it's hard to leave the room and to, you know, take a phone call or whatever when you're in a live event. So we've, we've gone back to live events just here in Adelaide. Um, we did that because last year, the COVID regulations and laws and shit with hotels was still a bit. Mm. So when we planned out our year, we just went, you know, run them all in Adelaide. We still have like the majority of our attendees are interstate. So we get people, we ran an event two weeks ago and I got a seven day one next week. Um, I would say three quarters of the attendees are from Brisbane, uh, Perth, Melbourne. Uh, we get a, we get a few from New South Wales, but it's not a big hotspot for us. Cairns, we get a lot from Cairns, Darwin. Um, but we also get internationals as well. So we get people who fly from New Zealand, um, Singapore, come across to the events um you know normally when i hear someone say like do you run any events in melbourne and then i go nah it's just adelaide at the moment they go oh i'm like you're not our clients believe me yeah. if you can't if you can't take a one hour fucking plane trip and and pay 120 bucks or whatever for a cheap airfare to get across to adelaide to do an event you're probably not going to want to work with us yeah because you know? you're not you, if, if that's too hard i guarantee trying to achieve stuff in life 
you're going to give up on in two minutes. That's it, because the flight and then Airbnb would be like 400 bucks in total. It's yeah. Like, how committed are you? And if you're smart, you just get into our community group. Like I run, even after you do our events, I still run bonus events or bonus extras for our community. So I just did like a two and a half hour talk on uh, willpower and all the scientific research and data about how to create better willpower. Um, and so I did that to all the people that have come to our Thrive Time event before. So I still run extra bonus events a couple of times a year specifically for our community to keep them all inspired and, and keep going. Um, so, uh, and they don't pay extra for that. It's just part of it. Um, but like some some cool stories is like Steph Davies who competed at the Commonwealth Games, prior to doing Thrive Time, she was working a corporate do- job, didn't know what she wanted to do in life, comes and does Thrive Time, realizes that her love is exercise. So she goes and works at a CrossFit gym Someone says your weightlifting looks really, really good. You should train with the um, uh, the Institute of Sport. So she goes out, starts training with the Institute of Sport. 18 months after doing Thrive Time, she's competing at the Commonwealth Games. Prior to that, she'd never done weightlifting before. Never. So, you know, for her, she she's an amazing individual that I look at and I go, that's someone who is hungry and wants something. But now she lives overseas. So she still flies. She started a business decided I'm going to go to Mojo's business event. She flies from overseas every 90 days to come to our business events. That's someone who's hungry versus the person who's in Melbourne who's like, oh, do I have to travel? Oh, I can't. I don't I don't know. Like accommodation's expensive. Just get in our group and say, does anyone want to share an Airbnb? There's four bedrooms or whatever we can share and fucking hook it up. It'll cost you like 50 bucks a night. Like it's not that hard. So you can see the people that are determined in life versus those who aren't. And, you know, we even had, um, if you go to my YouTube channel, there's a, a woman on there who, um, Karina, she's got a son who's got uh, cerebral palsy, he's quadriplegic. Um, he can't walk, can't talk. And and she ended up finding out that her ex-husband, who they were together, was using drugs and was a heavy meth user. And the, the bank was about to repossess their home. She didn't even know. Um, he had an invoice from his past business. And so like they they were owed like $100,000 in cash. So her whole life was falling apart. She came to one of my one-day events and went, I need a change. My life is absolutely fucked. Like I'm, it's ruined. Like it's ruined. I, I, there's nothing I can do, but I will be at Thrive Time. She said to me, she looked me in the eyes and said, I will sell everything I have to be at that event. She rocked up there, got clear with what she wanted to do in life. And within 12 months, she's got her own house. She's doing a job that she loves. She's able to look after her son. I went to a charity function where they ended up putting together enough money to buy a, to get a new car for Jake so that he can have his wheelchair and everything in the car. Like her whole life has transformed because she got clear with what she really loved and wanted to do. But I look at people like that and that that the commitment that she had to make that day. I will do anything to be at that event. I'll sell everything that I've got and I'll be there versus do I have to travel you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just get like, to the point now. Where I'm just like, you know, you're probably better off not come to my events. Like, just fucking stay away from me. Yeah, because you want people there that are committed as well and ready to take that change. And when you're telling me that story about that lady, like, it's literally giving me goosebumps because I love hearing about people that go all in on yep. change or all in on personal growth and living the life they truly want that they deserve. And it's just, it's a, it's such an empowering thing seeing people take that step and taking that leap to better themselves. Yeah. Um, but in answer to the question, I I travel all around the world. I was supposed to go on to a gig in Hawaii this year. Um, you know, I've done a couple in the US before. Um, yeah, Asia, 
New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Like I, I try, I, if I can get bums on seats anywhere, I will talk. <laughs> so yeah. someone says to me, you know, Hey, would you ever come here? And I'm like, hundred percent. I just need bums on seats. You put them on there. I'll be there. Yeah. I, um, a mentor of mine actually said you did a speaking gig up in Queensland with him years back at the PLCs. His name's Dion Monkovich. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that was a um, cool thing that somehow the world connects us. <laughs> yeah. So um, Guy Cohen, who uh, I met Guy on a cruise ship because I did a talk on a cruise ship um, and also in Mexico. So I did a speaking gig with Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. D. Martini, a whole bunch of other crew in Mexico. And then um, I ended up uh, hanging out quite a bit with Guy. In fact, he was my roommate. So um, this the organization that I was doing the speaking gig with put me in a room with Guy. And so we we walked in. I, I still remember this. I walk into a room in Mexico and he looks he looks at me and he goes, you look like you're trained. And I said, yep. And he goes, cool. We're going to get along well because he's this little nuggety guy. And and after that, we've been like almost best mates ever since. So um, yeah, um, he owns a bunch of PLCs. He got me up to do that speaking gig, got involved with um, all the PLC guys and um, yeah, all of that. I still do some of the speaking gigs for some of the groups. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still PLC guys or not, but yeah, a lot of those guys. That's awesome, man. This next question, I've listened, when I saw this question come through, I know you've done an episode, Alex, I listened to it on your podcast and I loved how in depth you went, but someone asked, how can I be more decisive I find myself not making decisions when I know the correct decision. Okay. It's an implanted value. Mm. So you're afraid of what other people are going to think if you fail. And you're normally what will happen. So um, with Sigmund Freud, he if you go and read his research or his, uh, sorry, his articles on the ego, the id and the super ego, the true meaning of ego, if you go and look up the etymology or the history of the word, ego means the true self. So when everyone says it's your ego, that's the bad thing. It's not. That's they've they've misinterpreted that word. And because what happens is one person says it, then three people hear it, and then they go and say it. Now everyone says the ego is this bad thing, and it's you know, but they've mistaken the word for being egotistical or or an egoist, where you're someone who has an overinflated sense of self. The overinflated sense of self is a byproduct of devaluing yourself. So when you feel like you're less than, you will overcompensate. So those who tend to overcompensate do so because they're actually insecure within themselves and they feel like people judging and criticizing them so they over-exaggerate um, in order to balance themselves out. But go and read the work, the ego, the id, and the superego. The superego is implanted values from other people with it, uh, on ourselves. Um. When you're indecisive, it's not that you don't know. So in the question, it already says, um, I already know the right answer. So if you already know the right answer, then the question is, why don't you make that decision? And the reason is that you know what to do, but you're afraid it's going to upset somebody else. Someone else is going to criticize you or judge you, which then means that you're trying to please them. If you're trying to please them, you're actually trying to fit into their value set. So like my mum, here's a really good example of this. My mum used to criticize me consistently for not coming and seeing them as often as what she wanted. Yeah. And I think most people will understand this. So I'm at mum and dad's for dinner. Mum says, you don't come and see us enough or you don't see us anymore. And what she's doing is she's projecting her high value of family onto me. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is the byproduct of her implanting her values onto me or projecting her values makes me feel guilty. 
So when you feel guilty, it's normally somebody else's values being implanted onto you. So it may be friends, it may be family, it may be a preacher, it may be a teacher, but someone else is projecting what they perceive is important onto you. And so that's what makes you feel guilty. So I'm there, I start feeling that mum's pushing something onto me that makes me feel uncomfortable, then I react. So I would get pissed off with my mom and then would argue and she'd say, you know, you just don't care about us anymore, which I do care about it. It's just that I don't want to come and have dinner every week like she wants me to because I've got other shit that I'm doing, which is important to me. Um, and so we used to argue. Then one day my mom said, you know, you don't come and see us. You don't care about us. And I said, mom, look, what do you want from me? Okay, I was smarter. I adapted my communication because I, I had gotten feedback before that I was ignorant to for like 15 years. So it took me 15 years to learn one lesson. And that was that my mom was just, she wanted the best for me, but just didn't know how to communicate it. So I said, what do you want from me? And she said, I want you to be happy. And I said, what do you think that looks like? And she said, well, I guess it's teaching, traveling, you know, doing the things that you're doing, hanging out with Jess, meeting new people and so on. And I said, do you want me to give that up? And she said, no, I've always wanted you to be happy. And I said, can you see that I am? Because my mum lives her values, her values are family first. So in her life, when she's around family, she feels fulfilled. She doesn't understand value systems and value structure. So she looks at me that doesn't spend time as much time as what she would like with family. So she goes, he can't be happy. He can't be fulfilled. He can't be enjoying life because he doesn't spend time with family. And then so she projects her values onto me, thinking that if I fit into her values, I will be happy. Now, I don't even care about happiness. It's not That's not a word that I use. But for her, she feels like my life would be better if I spent more time with family. Me personally, I know my values and that's not true. I can spend time with family and I enjoy it, but only for a short period of time because I enjoy hanging out with other people. I enjoy teaching, coaching, and doing my thing because it's my values. So um, that... When After I communicated that, my mum never made me feel guilty again because she realizes that she's already being a great mum by me living my values and my values are the things that makes me enjoy life, not living in her values. Yeah. Okay. So um, coming to the implanted values, you've got to be really, really careful with those extra voices inside your head and ask yourself, if I make this decision, who am I going to upset? And is it going to upset them because they want me to live in their values? Are they judging and criticizing me because they're living outside of their values and now they're frustrated and angry and hate life? And so they're projecting their shit onto me, which you'll see that on most social media platforms, right? Some douchebag comes along who fucking hates life. And now because they hate life and they're angry at everybody, they see you doing something. And so they just got to tell you what a piece of shit loser you are, you know, but it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. So that could be part of it. Like when someone says, you know, I, I avoid judgment. I avoid criticism. What they're saying is I'm avoiding my own greatness because I'm afraid of what other people think. And I value them more than I value myself, which is why I have low self-worth. Hmm. When you live your own values, you have high self-worth. So everything in life is essentially a dichotomy. You get to piss off people by living your own values, or you get to people please and live in everyone else's values, but hate yourself and piss yourself off. So what? What? how do you want to live? right? It's a dichotomy. You get to live a fulfilling life, which isn't very exciting, or you get to live an exciting life, which has lots of highs, but it also has lots of lows. So you you talk to a crackhead, they have high highs, but they also have massively low lows. Now, are you prepared to have extreme highs with extreme lows, or do you want to have a more balanced, stable life, which isn't exciting, 
but you achieve a lot more. Mm. Like if you look at any high performer or high achiever, their life is really fucking boring. It's the same shit every day. Like you play professional basketball like Michael Jordan, you train, sleep, eat, rest, play. Train, sleep, eat, rest, play. That's life. Now that seems cool for like a week, but when you've got to do it for a 10 or 15 year period, it's really boring. You look at someone who builds a $100 million business, they do the same shit every day over and over and over again. It gets real boring real quick, but that's what achieves great results. Most people don't want that. They're like, I want the exciting life and I want to do all the fun shit, but I don't want to do the stuff that's consistent, which achieves great results over time because I really want to achieve great things, but I want to do exciting stuff. It's a dichotomy. You get to pick one or the other. That's the mind fuck that we're all dealing with, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to make heaps of money and I want to be rich, but I want to spend all my cash and like have all this shit. Well, uh -huh. that's why you're broke. Like you want to be rich or you want to be broke and have stuff. Like you're always, that battle in most people's heads is always going on. You have to decide how you want to live and it's one or the other. I love how a lot of these questions come back to values. That shows how important our values are in life. Yeah, the mm. the the things that I teach, like I in my Thrive Time event, what I realized was that this was many years ago. If you get your success map for life, so I call it the mojo map for success. If you get that right, that is going to be the foundation for the rest of your life. Now you've got to adjust it and tweak it as you go along and as things grow. But I've never had anyone, whether it be a billionaire, a, a rich lister, a professional athlete, someone who's hit rock bottom, drug addict. If you get it right, they're about 80% of the way there to, to establishing something great in life because they know, they know themselves. And if you go back and you look at the greatest people throughout history, they'll say things like, um, I think it was Aristotle who said, you've got to know thyself and you've got to be thyself. Well, you can't be yourself if you don't know yourself. So you've got to know yourself before you can be yourself. You've got to get clear with your values properly, the proper correct order the proper correct value structure that is unique to you as an individual, not somebody else's values, not fantasy values, not bullshit values like most people teach, the real legitimate values. Then you've got to get clear with your purpose. You then have to understand what lifestyle balance looks like to you because every person has an individual unique lifestyle balance. When someone comes to me, they're like, oh, but I want to work, you know, I want a work and a home life that's perfectly balanced. Not fucking possible because depending on your values depends on how much time you spend in each area. Some people, balance to them is working, you know, 100 hours a week. That To somebody else, working more than 30 hours a week is like a nightmare and they start to get to that stress point at 30 hours. So everyone has a unique lifestyle balance that they need to know what it looks like and they need to know the feedback. If not, you get out of balance and shit starts falling apart and you end up in mental chaos. You need to know your mission. You need to learn how to track your visions because your brain keeps popping up these visions for you to pay attention to because it's important to you as an individual. If you don't document them and make sure that it aligns with your mission, you might be chasing fantasies. And most people live in fantasy land. You know, you ask most people, what's a relationship look like? Oh, I just want the perfect person who supports me and everything, who just, you know, agrees with me all the time. I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, who, who is going to agree with you all the time? Like, here's how a relationship works. You get up, you look at each other, you go, I love you. You start the day off, you get out of bed. You walk downstairs, they're in your way, you argue with each other. <laughs> then you do something else. They frustrate you a little bit. You communicate, you talk about it, you overcome it. Then you go out for lunch, you enjoy hanging out with each other. You know, like it's 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 an ebb and flow that's always happening within a relationship. But people watch these Disney movies or these like chick flicks and the all of that sort of shit. And they think that there's this perfect human being 
that's going to align with them when Jess is my greatest criticizer, my greatest judge. She knows what I'm capable of. She will tell me when my shit stinks. I will do something sometimes and she'll just look at me and she's like, you're a fucking idiot. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, why would you do this thing here when you know that it's going to end up detrimental to yourself? And I'm like, fuck, that's a good point. Now, she's not saying that because she hates my gut. She's saying it because she knows what's best for me. She might be saying it the wrong way, but sometimes sometimes she's got to she's got to hit me verbally with a baseball bat so I pay attention. I'm like, shit, she's right. Yeah. So a relationship is about growth. It's not about it's not about passion and this agreeing upon each other. It's like this is the person who's going to help optimize your growth and help you to be better in life. Mm. And just like a parent with their kids. If you're a parent who supports your kids in everything they do, you're going to end up with a child at 18 years of age that is erratic and probably going to end up in jail because they've never had any boundaries. They've never had anyone tell them off. They've never had anyone who says what you're doing here is not acceptable. That's also your intimate partner, right? So, so most people set themselves up with fantasies and then they wonder why their life is fucked up in a nightmare, but your, your life is a nightmare because it's trying to crack the fantasies that you have people who have fantasies about money. They live a nightmare with money all the time. They're like, I'm always broke. I'm always stressed about money. Well, of course you are because you think that money's going to come easy. You think that if you just win cross lotto, everything's going to be simple. The truth is anything in life that's worthwhile is really tough. It's really hard. You've got to learn a lot of shit. If I give the average person a million bucks, I guarantee it'll be gone within 12 months. But you speak to any individual and they're like, nah, it won't be. I'm going to be different. Really? You're going to be different than all the other people that have inherited money. Like there is such a small percentage of people who inherit money, who make more money. Mm. But they're also the ones who get criticized in our society. Like you look at Gina Reinhart inherits, you know, her dad's mining operation. For her to build on that is really, 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 really extremely fucking tough. Yeah. And people like, yeah, but if I had a billion dollars, I wouldn't lose it all. Really? You wouldn't lose it. What happens Mm. if I give you five bucks? It's gone like that. What happens yeah. if I give you a hundred bucks? It's gone like that. I give you a thousand bucks. It's gone like that. So if you multiply that and give you a million bucks, oh, it's going to be different. Really? Is it? I love how you touched on the hundred percent agreeableness as well, like in relationships, but also in life. And we'll go back to the relationship aspect. Like if I had the partner that was a hundred percent agreeable to everything that I said, how am I going to grow as a person? Because I see the things that arise in my relationship as a reflection of the stuff that I haven't worked on myself that I need to work on to become a better individual. But that's similar with things like business and growing and getting money. If everything in life 100% agrees with you, how are you meant to grow? (laughs) You're going to stay stuck. You're going to start working backwards and you're not going to start getting the better results in life. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's key. Everything is a mirror of the things we need to work on. Yeah, all relationships are an opportunity to optimize growth. And your intimate partner is going to help you to optimize growth. And optimal growth happens with enough stress and pressure for growth and expansion, but not too much where it crushes an individual. So if you look at a child, children, they optimize growth through stress. So when the child's first learning how to ride a push bike, it's tough. It's stressful. It's frustrating, right? They just can't get it. But they keep practicing because there's also an enthusiasm and excitement. As they go through that, it causes growth. Have a look at nature. Trees grow the deepest roots in the harshest droughts. When they're water deficient, a tree will tap down deeper roots in most cases or spread out in order to find more water. Humans don't think about this in their own life. They go, I want an easy life. Cool. Go in a free fall. If you jump out of a plane without a parachute, everything is so easy because there's no, you don't feel gravity. 
right? You're just free falling, but eventually you're going to hit the ground. It's going to fucking hurt, right? <laughs> if it doesn't kill you. That's when someone says to me, oh, everything in life's going easy. I'm like, guess what's happening? You're in free fall, my friend. Yeah. It's about to get real, real quick. So you need to, you need to have pressure and stress every day. Everything in the universe expands based on pressure mm. or it contracts based on pressure. If, if there's a lack of pressure, pressure or vacuum. So we need pressure to expand and we need stress to grow. So if we don't have, it's called stress. If we don't have stress, we don't get optimal growth. An intimate relationship, we're trying to find out where that barrier or that line is for optimum growth for each other without it becoming too much distress, but without having minimal stress. So there's a fine line, but no one ever gets it right. Yeah. Parents will know exactly the same thing because with your children, you're trying to optimize stress so they grow and you want them you want them to grow and you want them to develop as you know highly competent human beings but too much stress you just watch them get crushed but not enough and they're little pricks so you know what i mean like there's there's a fine line you just most people don't know where that is i don't think i've ever got it right i don't think most people will um, yeah. it's a fantasy if you think you do but a, a relationship's just there for growth so if you see it as a growth opportunity instead of being that person who when you get challenged goes you know what fuck it i'm leaving and then you go and end up dating the same person that you've dated 20 times that every time you challenge, you run away. Now it's time to go, well, hang on. This is an opportunity to grow. I need to learn how to communicate more effectively, understand people, not be self-centered, maybe not, not be too altruistic and give everything to the other person because I have low self-worth. And then they take everything and then I blame them for the reason why I feel like shit. Yeah. I hope Agreed. that answers that question, mate. 100%. <laughs> Most of the last of the questions, I think we've answered them a lot and tied into besides mm -hmm. these two questions to kind of stand out on their own. So the first one is, uh, what are some of your non-negotiables in your own life? Oh, that's a really tough question. Uh, I should have got that one earlier. <laughs> um, when you When you asked me about doing this live, I was like, don't worry about sending through the questions. Um, but, um, my non-negotiables, I don't really have any because in order to have a non-negotiable, it means that you're completely blocked off to the idea that things could change. Yeah. Now in saying that, do I have things that I like to stick to? Um, and the answer is yes. So over time, I'm a lot more firm with my sleeping patterns. You know, I like to be in bed by a certain time every night. Like I, I really enjoy being in bed by 8.30 and asleep by nine. But is that a non-negotiable? Not really, because there are times where I'm awake later. You know, it depends if I've got speaking gigs or things like that. And there at night time, I might get to bed at 10 or 11. Like it all depends. Um, exercise, I exercise a move every day. But is that a non-negotiable? Not really, because there are some days where I just feel so fatigued and, and burnt out, depending on what's going on. Like if I've had international travel or something like that. I'll just spend the whole day in bed. So I wouldn't say it's a non-negotiable, but for me, I base a lot of the principles that I live by around my values and what I'm trying to achieve. So I know that most days, like if you're if you're watching this on a live or, or on YouTube or anything like that, you'll see I've got a bookshelf behind me in my book collection. My office is a little library. Um, or I guess it's a, a fairly decent sized library for most people. For me, it's little, but for most people, I guess there's probably a good thousand books or so in here. Um, um, but you know, like I like, I, I love to learn every day. So I try and do as much as that as possible. I look after my health to the best of my ability. I make sure that I connect with people around me to the best of my ability. Um, 
Yeah, they're probably some of the most common things. I guess my non-negotiable is probably having a shower every day. Like that's probably something that's probably a non-negotiable. <laughs> shower um, and brushing your teeth. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't mind getting away with like not brushing my teeth for a day, but a shower, you just feel gross. I guess I'll, not brushing your teeth, you feel gross too. But yeah, I, I don't I don't really have like some people like I have to exercise every day. It's like a non-negotiable. But I think everything in life is negotiable. It all depends on what's happening in that moment. Um I just found that the more black and white that a person is, the more they end up just destroying shit within their own life and the more self-destructive they are. But also, like everything in life, greatness always happens at extremes. Like people want to balance life, but also they want to achieve at a fucking higher level. Those two things are counterintuitive. Like you don't get a balanced life and achieve in a one percenter. Like you just don't become a one percenter if you're if you're trying to be balanced. I know that there are times where I work to excess. But that's because I'm trying to achieve at, at a high, high, high level above the average person. Like, you know, financially, I'm probably in the top 1% globally or, well, yeah, I would be. Um, but that doesn't happen because I'm trying to live a balanced life. It's because I'm trying to do crazy shit and push to extremes based on my purpose and my mission. Is that healthy? I don't know. If you look at statistically, maybe because where there's higher socioeconomic status, there's also higher health status. So people who have more money tend to live longer. Uh, countries who have a higher socioeconomic status and higher wealth tend to live longer in most cases. So, you know, like, I don't know. I think everything comes at a cost. The question is, are you prepared for the cost? Yeah. You know, I, do you want to live a balanced life that's boring and monotonous and shit and never achieve anything? Is that more important than living a crazy life where you achieve amazing things that most people dream of? It all depends. Depends on what you love. Like you look at extreme sports athletes doing a double backflip on a, on a motorbike out of control, but that same person travels the world. You know, they, they're doing shit every day that they love. They get to ride motorbikes. They probably have a sponsorship, but are they likely to end up a paraplegic or die potentially higher than most? I love, that, pers yeah. I love that perspective on, I've never looked at it in this way that non-negotiables can stop you from growing. So there's certain boundaries in your life. I love that. That's something that I remember personally too. Yeah. I don't I think you've it's it's about what what are the what are the negotiables, the negotiable, the non-negotiables or the things that you're prepared to negotiate on for you personally hmm. versus the negotiables that you negotiate for others to like you because of how you behave. So like something that I don't really negotiate with is how I live. As in, this is what I do. This is how I am. So when I first started dating Jess, she found it really interesting and, and much credit to her family because like a lot of family functions, I don't go to. She'll mm -hmm. say, do you want to come up to my family's for this? And I'll go, no, nah, that's all right. You go. And her family completely understand. So I'm extremely lucky to have her and to have her family because they have always supported me. Now, it must be hard for them as well because I know they get pressure from others around them that go, you know, Michael never comes to family functions. They try to create fucking drama and shit. But to much credit to her parents, they're like, well, he's running a business. He's got shit to do. And, you know, like they get it. But there are other people around them that put pressure on them because they don't get it. And Jess has had it with her friends as well. Oh, Michael never comes to see us. Michael doesn't do this. So Jess is an extremely strong individual that gets that I am who I am. And, and that's how I guess I've been for a long, long time now. Like if I want to do something, I will do it. But if I don't want to do something, I just don't do it. And I don't give a shit whether people like it or don't like it because this is who I am. Yeah. And I would rather like myself 
than please everybody else and not like myself. Now, some people call that ruthless. Some people say I'm arrogant. Some people say, you know, I'm narcissistic. Maybe, but it's I'm not doing it because I want to upset other people. Like I don't want to upset others. But at the same time, I don't want to live a life that everyone else wants me to be. There's 8 billion people on the planet who all have an idea and an opinion about how I should live. Where does it stop? You know, and I realized this years ago, like the more popular you become, the more of a leader you become, the more people have an opinion about you because they're filtering life through their values, their belief systems and so on. And so, you know, some people go, well, you train too much. Some people say you don't train enough. Some people say you swear too much. Some people say you don't swear enough. Some people say, I don't like the way you communicate. Some people say, I like, you know, like, where does it end? Literally. So I, I just try to think through situations and I go, you know, I know that these people like my friends want me to go to their birthday parties and shit, but I don't want to go out drinking. Like I don't drink a lot. I used to, I used to get absolutely bent like five nights a week, but these days it's not a priority. So I'll say, look, I'll have lunch with you next week, but I'm not coming to your birthday. And then I get the, oh, come on, man. You know, and the, the whole like try to guilt you into doing what they want you to do. And I'm like, look, I'm, it's just, it's not going to happen. Right. That's how it is. Have I lost friends? Yeah. Have, have people had judgments and criticisms? Yeah. But I spent my younger years trying to please everybody else. And I fucking hated myself and I hated life and I wanted to kill myself. Mm. I don't want to go back to that place. Yeah. I understand that. Cause I've had people in my life, like friends around me, they say to me, how, why do people not bother you when you say no? Because usually when I say no to something, it's a no, like I know what I want. And friends say to me, when I say no, people still try and beg me to do it. And I'm like, you just got to keep saying no and be firm with it over a long enough period of time. People will respect your answer and understand why you're doing it as well. Cause you know, you're doing it for your own purpose and your own good. And yeah, yeah. look, I, 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 I'm still trying to figure this out as well. Like everyone. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out life. I don't think anyone has the answers. I'm supposed to be this guru, which I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy who loves understanding human behavior and I want to help people to, to perform better in their own lives and in their businesses and, and achieve what a great life looks like for them. But in our society, if I sat there and said, I have all the answers, I would have millions more followers I would probably make, you know, a hundred times more money, but then you end up getting a whole bunch of people that, that when something fucks up, they go, ah, I knew it. I knew you weren't as clean as what you said. I've worked with thousands, tens of thousands of people now. And I can tell you, everyone has a little dark box of shit in the back of their mind with a fucking lock and key that they do not want anyone to find because of all the shit that they're ashamed of. Everyone has it. And some of the most clean cut, people have some of the darkest shit. And that's why every time someone gets celebrated as a hero or as an icon or whatever, all this dark shit comes out about them because everyone's got it. But then in our society, we love people who don't, we, who don't have that, you know, like we love the hero and, you know, it's just come out now. Like the guy who uh, I forgot his name, who, who won the um, whatever medal, the war hero or whatever. Now it's come out that he killed people, like he killed kids and stuff in Afghanistan and all this. And, and, and you know, and I, I sit there and I go, well, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's part of his dark box. Everyone's got it. Yeah. You know, you get the people who are politicians and they're supposed to be fucking perfect. And everyone goes, you know, they're supposed to be clean cut and do all the right things. And then all this dark shit comes out about them. It's like, no shit, because they're human. Mm-hmm. And people act surprised. They're like, you know, oh, he abused this person. He said the wrong thing. Ellen DeGeneres, she got attacked and shamed and pulled apart because in her thing, it's be kind to yourself and others. And I'm like, 
fucking hell, this isn't going to end good. And then it comes out, she's a bitch. And I'm like, no kidding. Because imagine trying to eat your lunch one day and every time you go out for lunch, every fucking day you go out for lunch, someone comes up, can I get an autograph? Can I get a photo? Hey, of course, there's going to be a day where you're just pissed off and you're burnt out and you're frustrated and someone does something and you're just like, you know what? I just wish you'd fuck off. Yeah. And now, yep, see, fucking bitch. And then the media grab hold of it and they blow it out. She went fucking crazy this waiter. And of course, she's a human. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised when that shit comes out, but most of fucking society is because most people think that we're supposed to be clean cut, have all the right answers, get everything right, that we never go through anything bad. I tell people all the time, like I have fucking dark days. I have dark mm-hmm. moments. Like I doubt myself all the time. I worry about shit and I'm the human performance expert. And people are like, really? You have that? And I'm like, fucking everyone does. Yeah, we're human. It's because, yeah, it's because they read all this shit about people who supposedly don't have it or they see the outcome. They don't see all the effort. And I can tell you right now, like if I go back to starting a business from zero, the stuff that I tell you now is based on having the outcome of having a seven figure plus business and having done it for multiple years now. It's not as bad as what I thought it was. But if you go back to the day, there were times I'm fucking melting down, like weeks where I just didn't want to get out of bed because I just felt like no matter how hard I worked, nothing worked. Everything was just shit. I hated everybody. I hated the world. I hated people. I hated our customers. I hated staff. But now I can talk about it from like, you know, an experience. Yeah, you go through some hard times. And so people listen to that and they're like, fucking hell, I'm going through like this shit where I just hate everybody. And that's completely normal. So when you hear about, when you hear the stories, it's normally from an area where the pain of going through it is a lot less than what it was. Even just look at COVID. How many people at the start of COVID went and did stupid shit? Yeah. Right. Ran out, bought toilet paper. I had friends of mine every time I'd go, every time I'd communicate with them, they're like, have you had, had, the, had the vax? Um, I mean, make sure you don't catch up with my kids. I don't want fucking you around people like, and now you talk to them, they're like, oh, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Like, you know, I guess, you know, I was a little bit afraid. And I'm like, a little bit afraid? Are you fucking serious? Like, what? Because our perception of past incidences, the the stress and the pressure tends to reduce a lot. Mm-hmm. So people forget how bad things really were or how bad they were over time. Even I talk to my mom now and I'm like, remember as a kid, you kicking my fucking door in and screaming and like abusing the shit out of me? Mom was like, I was never like that. Really, you were never like that because my memory was pretty fucking clear. That's how you were. But to her, she was like, I was never like that. So my point is, is that a lot of the times in our society and where I'm getting at is that when when we listen to these stories of individuals, what they go through, the emotional stages are either heightened and expanded because they're trying to tell a story and they want it to be more exaggerated or they deflate it as though it's not as bad. And so we tend to think, you know, I'm the only person going through this. It seems to be worse for me. Things are more painful for me. Stuff's not working. I'm trying everything. You know, I've been working in my business for three to four years and I'm not a millionaire yet. What's going on? That's normal, right? It's normal. I'm just trying to normalize shit to tell people that fucking life's tough. It's hard. You go through a lot of shit. No one has the answers. You've just got to do the best that you can do with the tools that you're given. If you understand your values, your mission, your purpose, lifestyle balance, and you keep learning and you keep growing, you take shortcuts. If you don't consistently learn and integrate into your own life, you're going to have to learn through trial and error. You make a lot of mistakes, but there's nothing wrong with you. I've never Mm -hmm. met a person where there's something wrong with them. Although 
even in modern psychology, you hear people go, oh, it's because your brain's not working properly. No, their brain works differently. That's it. Okay, I got... I, I could easily go and get diagnosed with ADHD. I know all the criteria. I could easily go and get diagnosed. Why don't I? Because how does it benefit me? Yeah. Right? I just think differently. And that's how I remind myself. I think differently. Mm. That's so, so true. Um, just to finish off that point there as well. Like back in the past when I did see a therapist, she tried to diagnose me with depression. And I saw that as a thing of, I haven't got anything in my life that I'm working towards. So I said, I don't have depression. I just don't have something I'm not working towards in life. And once I implemented the mission, I never felt those feelings occur as much as they did. Like mm-hmm. now I'll see some days where you feel like shit, but majority of the time I feel great. It's like, cool. It's because I'm aligned with my values and my mission in life. Yeah. It's good that you were self-aware enough of that because I think, you know, um, Gabor Mate goes into this um, in some of his stuff. Um, you know, I, with with anyone I speak about, I don't always agree 100% with the way that they do things. And I guess I have my different methodologies and different thoughts. But he said, like, when you're a child and things are going on around you that make you feel unsafe, you tend to internalize and go, I must have done something. It must be me. Now, that can cause a lot of problems because I have that I have that issue, right? I had a lot of shit going on at home as a, you know, my mum was a 17-year-old kid who had, you know, a child. So she was trying to figure it out. I used to get yelled at a lot. I used to get told, you know, that I was a problem a lot or stuff like that. And I guess maybe I was an unwanted child. Maybe I felt that. I don't, I don't know. I sort of haven't gone back to dig that up too much yet. And do I think that going back and digging up the past helps? Not really. And I think a lot of people do because they think if I can go back and figure it all out, then it will change the way my future is. Maybe. Sometimes though, you just dig a bigger fucking hole for yourself. Sometimes you're better off just going, this is how it was. So therefore, this is how I'm going to behave today. And now I'm going to build what I want to build. So there's benefits and there's drawbacks of going back to the past. But when you're under stress responses as a child, maybe you do tend to internalize things as there's a problem with me. The benefit of that, though, is as an adult, you create greater self-awareness and you go, my life's not where where I want it to be. I need to change. So therefore, I need to improve. And that's a great thing. And that's the whole self-development industry is for people who are self-aware enough to realize that they can change stuff. But I meet people all the time. They're like, it's not me. It's everybody else. So they lack the awareness that they're the problem. And I meet business owners all the fucking time, especially in scaling businesses or in startup where they go, staff are always a problem. My staff is shit. And they complain all the time about staff. And I go, you're still on the tools most of the time. You're still trying to make money and do sales. You're not a business owner yet. Business owners lead people. They inspire people. They know how to manage them. You haven't developed and evolved enough as a leader and a manager to be able to lead and manage people, which is why your staff are erratic. You have to grow. And they go, it's not me, it's them. So there are benefits to having more self-awareness but there are disadvantages. The disadvantage is you look inside all the time. You go, there's something wrong with me that I have to fix. Mm. The the uh, disadvantage of that though is that, or sorry, the, the advantage of that though is that you can change things. Now, the other people have a huge advantage, which is that they go, I'm just going to do shit and, and fucking figure stuff out. But then when things go wrong, they go, it's not me, it's everything else. So everything in life has benefits and drawbacks. And I assume most people listening to this podcast are more internally self-aware, but you've got to be careful because something happens. And instead of looking outside of yourself and going, okay, so 
I had this responsibility, but there was a whole bunch of other responsibilities as well that maybe I could have controlled, but maybe I couldn't have. And so maybe I just need to keep moving on and, and learn from it and keep going. Whereas some people dive into like, well, why is that happening? Why does this always happen to me? And you just watch them dive into this deep canyon of like self-defeating thoughts and self-hatred and and that doesn't help either. And so for me personally, I've I've been more in my life that dark canyon dive inside and I've had to teach myself that just look at the simple facts. Don't dive too deep into the past shit and try and figure everything out because it just leads to a fucking dark place of nowhere until you hit rock bottom. Stay inspired. Stay living the mission. Be busy because the busier I am and the more I'm working towards, and when I say busy, I mean productive, the more I'm working towards things that I perceive are important in life, the less time I have to think about my past and all the negative shit that happened. So I just keep going. Now, some people disagree with that, 100%. Are there psychologists out there that say it's probably unhealthy? Probably, but then we we can compare lifestyles and we compare lives and we'll see who's who's on top and who's not. So you know, that, that's yeah. it. It works for you. That's the main thing. Like that's that's what I say with myself. Like if something's working for me, I'm going to do it. Some people may say you're doing too much, but I'm like, well, it doesn't feel like I am. I feel great. So it's just yeah. fun. It's just fun more discovery about yourself. But yeah. I think that's a um. Oh, sorry, you go. I was going to say for for anyone who's listening to this, um. Something that helps me a lot is that life, I know you hear it all the time, but life is a journey. And life is a journey of, of discovery. And if you see every day as being filled with a little treasure treasure chests of both things that you open sometimes, you're like, oh shit, that's a bit fucking rough. And then other times you open the treasure chest and you're like, eh, I did something cool. Then you start to see life as more of a bit of a game. I also like to think of it as a chess game where if the, t- the 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 one thing that will defeat you in a game of chess is the timer running out. So don't sit there and not move a piece for too long because a timer will run out. And like most people going, well, I want to get everything right before I do something. Well, here's the thing. The timer's going to run out. You lose the game. Make a move. So make a move. That's it. Make a move. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to make a move and they're going to make a move. And you're like, fuck, they got me. Make a different move. Keep moving and you don't get to control the game. You can control your side, but they control their side. And sometimes you make a move and someone knocks you out and you're like, shit, make the next move. Be ready to make the next move and keep thinking two or three steps ahead and keep moving. Life becomes fun then because you're playing the game. Do you always win? No, but you learn how to get better. So if you keep the game of life fun, you see it as being a game of moves. You know that the time is going to run out if you fuck around for too long and if you sit there waiting. So just keep moving and then learn from it and and understand that the the treasure chests sometimes they're open you open them and they're full of things that aren't the best but there is also something to learn from that and take away it's not a treasure chest if there's not treasure in it so there has to be treasure in it it's just sometimes a treasure feels shit at first but in 2 years time that treasure chest is going to be so highly valuable because you learn something that now you're never going to make that mistake again i wouldn't be the person i am today without all the fuck ups that i've gone through without hitting rock bottom, without, you know, all of that stuff. And that's, I I love teaching that stuff because I think it gives people permission to be human. And I think the personal development industry either teaches people that the reason why they're fucked up, and when I say fucked up, that's because that's how they feel that I'm not saying that they are fucked up, but that they're fucked up because of all this past shit that happens. So they dive into their past and then they just realize that the more that they dive into it, it's like the ocean. Every time they try and find the depth of it, they find it's fucking deeper somewhere else, right? And it's it's almost like space as well. The deeper you go, the more fucking space there is. The more expansion. So like, 
<laughs> yeah, like you're going to spend your whole life trying to go back to your childhood, trying to figure out, you know, all this shit. I spoke to a guy the other day. Um, uh, by the way, do you, do you have to get off in a minute? Because I don't want to keep you. Yeah, I've got about five minutes. Awesome. So, so I was talking to this guy the other day that I've known for years. He's a, a black belt in BJJ. I've known him for many, many years. He's a business owner. And I could just see him just smashing, working through, like he, he would just smash himself. He was always on the go, ADHD type personality, uh, probably, you know, slightly narcissistic as well, which I think most business owners that are successful are because they've got to just do shit at the expense of other people in order to make it operate, especially when it's a small business. Um, and so he's pushing, pushing, pushing. And I kept saying, you know, come, come and do one of my events because I could see, I could see I could help him, but he just, he, he was just so laser focused. Mm-hmm. anyway recently i uh, i saw something on social media and i shot him a message i was like hey mate how's everything going he's like fucking worst month ever and i was like why is that and he said business is there's some things that have fallen apart team have left and also my wife's left in the last two weeks and i went oh shit got a couple of kids like fuck this is bad so anyway i just saw i left the message for a little bit and left it unread and then um I gave him a buzz. I was just driving into a meeting that I had and I gave him a buzz and I was like, mate, how's everything going? He's like, oh yeah, it's been going good, man. I was like, what's going on? He told me the story and he said, I've been doing all this trauma therapy and it's like the best thing ever because now he understands why he is the way that he is and why he acts the way that he does and why he works so hard and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, cool, fair enough. But anyway, he kept like trauma, this trauma, that, you know, it's because of my past traumas. And I was like, dude, you've learned all of this stuff, but here's the thing. You also are saying like you've read The Secret and you understand about all this energy stuff and you've been doing all this energy healing and all the fucking breath work and all the trauma therapies because it's all fashionable, right? I've been in the coaching industry for 20 years and fashions come and go. Like I can I can pretty much tell what's going on. Like right now, everyone's fucking breath working. It's like breath work this and learn it. It's, it's just another fad. Like, you know, I've, I've been doing breath work for fucking 15 years, but it wasn't cool, right? It's just... Because it, autonom- it regulates the autonomic nervous system. So like this stuff's been out there, but it's more fashionable now. There's more research coming out about it. And Wim Hof has made it quite popular. Um, but everyone's now putting their own spin on it and, and all of that stuff. But anyway, it's cool now that it's more popularized. But I said, dude, look, you're saying that you've read all of this stuff, right, about energy and all this. Think about this. If you believe that energy is what you say it is, and you're talking about trauma, just think about it. Just put that in your mind and just hold it and think through it. Right? Does that does that not seem stupid? Mm. Okay. So, you know, I believe in energy. You know, what we focus on expands and, you know, what we put out to the universe, we get back. All right, cool. Now let's talk about fucking trauma every three minutes. Yeah, literally. Like that just is, is so counterintuitive and it's because he, he's not thinking through things properly. He's not having the time to reflect. And I'm not saying that there's not a place to talk through trauma, but if you believe in, if you've got, if you've got these sort of beliefs about energy and what you put out, you get back and all that stuff. And you're thinking about all the reasons why your life's fucked up and all that sort of shit, then all you're going to do is you're going to replicate that into your future. And you're going to have to keep working on yourself because you feel like you're a fuck up, that there's all these problems, that there's all this trauma that's going on. And you're going to, in five years time, you're going to be dealing with the trauma that you're going through now because you're going to keep doing it because it's going to keep creating what you don't want. Yeah, like repetitive thoughts and language are going to keep repeating actions and behaviors as well. Yeah, so I don't, I don't talk about trauma. When when people come to my event and they go, I've had this traumatic experience. I go, cool. What do you mean by trauma? And they're like, well, this bad thing happened. I'm like, okay, what made it bad? And they're like, well, there was this specific moment in time that happened. I'm like, okay, 
So we've gone now from traumatic experience to there was this event, right? Now, a trauma is different and it feels different than an event. So you had an event. And in that event, there was a specific moment in time. That specific moment in time ha had a certain perception. That perception now, let's go back and let's unravel a little bit and let's talk through it all and let's figure out what the imbalances are in your perceptions and let's see how we can balance that shit out. When you balance it out, they don't perceive it as trauma. It's just an experience that happened. Yeah. And, and they don't have the emotional reaction. But because people also don't want to get rid of the emotional reactions that they have because it forms part of their identity and their reactions and their past story, they think that if I get rid of it, then I'm going to lose what has given me my drive. Like I can tell you right now, most entrepreneurs, and, and there's more research coming out of this, entrepreneurial type people tend to have past perceived traumas that aren't bad enough to flip them into drugs and alcohol and all these like, you know, ways of coping. Or maybe they've gone down that path, but they've now pulled themselves back a little bit. But they they tend to be more independent. They tend to not worry about so much what people think. They tend to be quite um, self-reflective and they tend to be extremely driven and needing to prove themselves. So they're quite insecure, but not insecure enough where they don't do anything. They're insecure enough to where they do something to prove a point. Yeah. So when you look at a, an entrepreneurial type personality, they will they will work extremely hard, push themselves extremely hard. Um, but that that is their drive is also their pain. You take away their pain, they lose their drive. So there are a lot of entrepreneurs who go and do personal development, and then they fall into this hole and they're like, oh man, I just can't be bothered doing anything, but I hate myself. And what they're doing is they're recreating a trauma in order to get back their drive. They're recreating pain in order to get back drive. They will self-sabotage all their money, their intimate relationship, their family, everything in order to create enough pain to create drive again. So you've got to be really careful with some of these strategies that are out there. And people have these fantasies of like, if I can just get rid of all this bad shit that happens to me, everything will be easy. Maybe, but maybe not. You've got to, you've got to work with someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, it all depends on what you're doing with that information. Once you reveal all these traumatic things that you've been through, it's like, what are you actually doing with that information? Are you sitting with it and staying with it? Or are you leaving it behind and using it as experience to make you grow and become a better version of yourself? And it's just, yeah, that's what it all comes down to. Yeah, you've got to be insecure. If you want to be driven, you have to be insecure enough to feel like shit that you haven't got your mission. Or you've got to be insecure enough to have to deal with that you feel like your past is making your insecurities. You, in some way, shape, or form, you have to create a void or an insecurity in order to be driven. Mm. And you have to feel like there's this big thing in the future that I'm trying to achieve and I'm not there yet. So I've got to work really, really hard to get there. But that also means that you feel partially like you're not enough or you're not good enough or you haven't achieved enough. Or you've got to have past shit that is pushing you to want to prove yourself to something or somebody. Yeah. Okay. Um, now there are some people who debate that and they go, oh, but you know, it's if we love what we do and blah, blah, blah. But the only way that we know what we want to do is because we perceive a void of something missing. So there's got to be a missingness in there and insecurity or whatever to create drive. Mm. So if you get rid of that insecurity, you lose your drive. When you lose your drive, you essentially lose the things that fulfill you in life because pushing hard and working towards something and overcoming obstacles that are in the way of you getting there is how you build your self-worth, your self-love, your self-respect, your self-confidence. So again, it's that dichotomy. I think all humans want an easy life. They want everything to be simple and a beautiful straight line where you know, we can just cruise and just live what we love. That's that's not Now, if we're driven, that comes at a cost and there's there are consequences and sacrifice of living that lifestyle. 
yeah. there are consequences and sacrifices of living a shitty lifestyle where you don't do much because you're content and satisfied. Mm. How do you want to live? Content and satisfied, but not achieve anything or extremely driven achieving stuff, but you know, maybe not having that contentment as well. Like every individual person out there has their own unique way of wanting to live. Mm. And no one can tell you what that is. You just have to discover it yourself. And, you know, just before we go, I think, you know, I got asked on an interview the other day, like, what's your morning routine? I'm cautious about giving morning routines because my morning routine works for me based on my values, my life balance that I'm trying to create, the mission that I have. So you can listen to 50 different people tell you their morning routines. If you try to implement it, it'll probably make you more confused, more stressed out and frustrated because you won't stick to it. The key is not to, when you listen to people, even like me, the key isn't to listen to it and to go, I need to be more like them. You listen to it and you go, okay, what would work for me in the lifestyle and mission that I've got? And this is where it comes back to, I don't teach people what to do. I teach people how to figure out their own way of doing things. Yeah. Because it's not that you're not successful. You're already successful. It's just that everything else is clouding your ability to achieve the success that you want at the level that you want. So I don't tell people what to do. <laughs> I ask them questions so they can figure it out. And then when they figure it out, now they've got the tools to live the life that they want to live. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And just before we finish up, I just want to touch on the morning routine thing. When I first started getting into personal development, I was researching like routines, morning routines. I found myself doing other people's morning routines and being pissed off that I had to do it. And I'm like, this isn't working. It's bullshit. And then once I started to implement things that I enjoy, but that knows will, will push me towards my mission. That's when I started to get better results in my life. And like you said, you got to tailor it to yourself. But, yeah, hundred percent. But thank you for joining today, man. Like much appreciated. So much value. I love chatting with you as well. For like, we just have some good conversations. And thank you for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it, and thanks for being a, a great host as well. Because it's uh, the questions that you ask are, are you know, great and. Uh, you know, I, I love the fact as well that you allow me to just sort of freestyle and, and go at it however I want to sort of go at it. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, you're you're a great host. Um, so thank you. Thank you, mate. I appreciate the feedback as well. And everyone listening, I'll link in, in the bio of this episode, whether YouTube or Spotify, wherever you're listening, all of Michael's his website, his TikTok, Instagram, everywhere where you can find him, his podcast as well. So please check out the bio, check out Michael's work and we'll catch us next time. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers.